What's happening, weirdos? Really, what's happening? I don't know. I'm recording this uh, Tuesday afternoon, so you guys know more than I do, and we probably don't even know what's going on uh, entirely with the election just yet. But mental health is important. Taking a break is important. Uh, so here is a wonderful chat that I had a few, uh, maybe it might actually be a month ago with the incredible Jim Jeffries, uh, such a lovely chat. Um, so hopefully wherever you guys are, I hope you're healthy. I hope you're safe. I hope you're sane. Um, I always tell people go to uh, Charlotte's web, go to cwhemp.com slash weird. Uh, if slash weird doesn't work, just go to cwhemp.com. Get some calm gummies. <laughs> I mean, we could all use some calm gummies right now. Use promo code KEEPITCRISPY19 for 10% off. That is a true and honest recommendation. And hopefully this uh, chat will give you a nice little break um, from whatever uh, is going on in the world. Um, and again, I just hope everybody's hanging in. Um, me and Val and Lee are basically, we just danced on the beach. <laughs> that was nice. We went to a silent disco on the beach uh, just to kind of get some good vibes going, get some good energy going, get connected to the earth, get connected to the ocean. I recommend that highly. No matter what's going on, I recommend stay connected with the things that are bigger than you. Um, that's always a good thing to remember and stay in touch with. Uh, this episode is brought to us. Me and uh, Jim are both parents. We talk about being a parent. This is brought to us by our friends at Hello Bello. Made by my friends Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard. Hello Bello is built on the simple idea that babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices. We know that being a parent is hard, like really hard. So when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, uh, you need to find a diaper that is absorbent and soft without spending a fortune. And it shouldn't be hard. And it should be available, meaning Hello Bello sends them right to you. You don't need another thing to remember, or rather, you don't need another thing to forget. Sign up for their subscription service and get great wipes and great diapers sent directly to your door so the next blowout is not a big deal. You have what you need, and you know you have wonderful, good products made by good people. Their diaper ser bundle service lets you choose from over 20 different fun rotating designs. That might sound silly, but Leela will actually point at the one that she wants, which makes putting on a diaper way easier. The one that she's rocking from Hello Bella right now has little bugs on it. For some reason, she loves the little bugs one. Each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers, four packs of plant-based wipes, and even one full-size product freebie with your first order. So, to support this show and support your family and your baby, go to HelloBello, H-E-L-L-O-B-E-L-L-O.com slash weird to build your bundle, and HelloBello will send you diapers on a cadence that works for you. Plus, the shipping is free. You can cancel, cancel anytime. No gotchas whatsoever. Get their soft, super absorbent, and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door. Go to hellobello.com slash weird. You'll get 25% off your diaper bundle order. That's a huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowouts saved. That's hellobello.com slash weird to start building with 25% off your order. Plus, get 15% off any add-ons like vitamins or wipes. Don't forget... HelloBello.com slash weird. All right, guys. Enjoy my chat with Jim Jeffries. Uh, there were a couple technical glitches and stuff. We cleaned them up. 
Hopefully it sounds great. And again, I'm thinking about you guys. Hang in there. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Stay sane. Stay connected. And uh, we'll we'll talk to you. We'll know more next week, right? All right. Get into it. Get that video on, you handsome man. All right. Where's the video button? Oh, get your get your son. Get your son to show you where the video button is. There it is. There it is. I was, oh. so, I was so excited that your podcast is, is only audio. I was over the moon. I've been doing these fucking Zoom things and, you know, you do your hair or you wear a hat or something like that or you get dressed. Yeah. I'm, I'm still in Vegemite pajama pants, man. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Don't ruin podcasts by filming them. You know what that's called? That's a TV show. <laughs> oh, I, 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 when I did my podcast, it made me film my one, and I'm thinking of getting rid of it. It's like, it's like a third of the listeners or something like that, uh, the people who watch it. But I, I just, yeah, as you said, it's like a fucking TV show. It's like, yeah. and also I've gotten super fat in quarantine. Just let me get fat. I'll get thin when I have to be back on TV. <laughs> I also, your, your phone cut out after you said that, so it just said Jim Jeffries. It was like your closing bit. You were like, just let me get fat. I'll get thin when I'm on TV. Jim Jeffries <laughs> is fat in quarantine. You look great. You feel fat? I, I, I don't just feel fat. I weigh fat. <laughs> I... I I'm uh, I, I, I've gained I've gained twenty pounds. I'm actually two hundred and twenty, so I'm basically two twenty uh, twenty twenty now. Well, then uh, welcome. I've hit the year. Oh my god, that's hilarious! Well, welcome to the subtle insult when someone says, "No, this is how you look." <laughs> you're like, "Oh, I've gained all this weight," and I'm like, "No, no, no! This is how you look. This is how we all think of you. This is what you are." Well, I'm, think, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting up right now. If I, if I lay back, it's, you can see it a lot more from that angle. That's a yeah. bigger. That's, yeah. That was sort of a Ricky Gervais tub shot right there. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Ricky Gervais is in love with those, with those pictures of his stomach up to his chin. <laughs> Claiming it back. Well, it's yeah. nice to see you. Where, where are you? Are you in Strail, L.A.? No, 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 no. I'm in L.A. I'm just in my house in L.A. I... I um, uh, you know, I've got me kid and my, my ex lives here. So, so I can't, I was thinking for a while, I just taken my kid to Australia where there's not much COVID where you can just live for a while. But then, you know, he's back at school now doing, and we're homeschooling and all that shit. So, oh, so, uh, you know, I'm here in, uh, I'm here in LA. Uh, you're, you are homeschooling him, you and your uh, ex? Uh, yeah, well, I have him for a week. She has him for a week. And they do a lot of it over Zoom and all that type of stuff. And then there's a lot of things we have to do together. And then they do things like you have PE every day. You know what I mean? And it's like the parents are meant to make sure the child's doing PE. And it's just such a double standard for me to stand, stand next to him. Like, come on, jump around. <laughs> do, some, do some jumping jacks. You're floating in a in above ground pool in an inner tube, eating a hot dog. Keep yeah. it moving, son. How old is your boy? Seven. He's seven. Yeah, he's seven. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought you were telling me his name is Devin. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's Devin. De- yeah, when when you get call a kid Devin, and they're, then they're seven, and then they're in year seven, grade seven. That must get very confusing. How what what is his name? It's not Devin. It's Hank. 
Hank. Good choice. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah, good old, good old school name. I got a friend whose kid's named Jack, and the, the, the two of us took our, our kids to Disneyland together, and we lost them. And I just remember, like, we didn't lose them for like a long time. They just, they, we just turned our back and they'd wandered away like a hundred meters or fifty, whatever. They were gone, right? <laughs> and so, I so said we have, but it, you say it and it's funny. They were gone. They were gone. Yeah. And uh, and so so we were wandering around going, Jack, Hank, and it was like we lost two old men with dementia. <laughs> and we were trying to get them ah. back at their home. <laughs> also. Dozens of kids had to be turning too. You yell Jack at Disneyland or Disney World. I mean, you're fucked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is hilarious. But I also think they can't go too far. It's, you know, it's Disneyland. They're stuck on the property, really. They're not letting, they're not letting the, like he was five at the time. They're not letting the five-year-olds wander off and giving them the stamp in case they get back in. <laughs> they're, they're, they're in there somewhere. There's also no bad neighborhood. <laughs> no, this, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Stay away from Frontierland after 10 p.m., man. You don't want to be there. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to go down that high street. If you stick to the main road, stick to the main road. Don't go from any of those side streets. You might see Mickey with his head off smoking a cigarette. <laughs> that's whenever, whenever I would play at college, they would, I don't know if you did a lot of colleges, it would happen time and time again, so much so that that was my opener was that like, they were always like, our campus is nice, but don't go this way, don't go, like, I'm talking about like Midwestern colleges. We're often like, I guess, surrounded by what what the college considered unfriendly neighborhoods. I don't know if they were, but the kids were always terrified of leaving the campus. Right, right. Well, I I never did any colleges here in America because, um, you know, it's pretty strict here for the colleges for the, no one wants to get be offended. There's no, you know, there's a lot oh, of restrictions right. on your jokes. Where in the UK, where I lived the 10 years previous to coming here, um, they, the dirtier the better. That was like my main income. There was a lot of clubs wow. that weren't booking me and I was just playing the colleges and stuff like that. Because, you know, rightfully so, young people enjoy hearing swearing. Right, and, and <laughs> old people are meant to be prudish, and young people are meant to be more cutting edge. Not that swearing's cutting edge, but you know what I mean. Like I do know what you mean. It's just. But have, you, have you ever thought about that? Like old people, because I've done shows where it's a mix of students and their parents. The parents should be even more comfortable with what you're talking about because they've been alive longer and heard it, but they get. Well, at my shows, that's true. I look. I always say it's because the you know the, the parents look. If you see an eighty-year-old woman right in the audience, if they come to my show, they're always laughing, and I always think that because they've been you know sucking cock since the nineteen sixties or fifties or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what. Whenever I see old people, I think like that. I think like. Well, that's my ah, thought. That's my point. Is they've heard every, but then they develop like, um, like an old British person. You were being fingered in a bomb shelter during an air raid. That's oh that God. seems to me to be pretty edgy. Life. They know that life isn't steam cleaned by that point. But people, yeah. I think they they start getting that. Um, they want to be polite. And then they start getting shocked more easily. But of course, that was, now I feel sort of silly that you 
wouldn't do a lot of colleges because that was the big thing. I didn't even intend to make this about that, but of course your, your brand of comedy wouldn't be right for the climate, the way things seem to be going in American. Yeah. Well, even, even 10 years ago, they didn't really want me to play colleges, but you know, like, you know, it's getting serious when Jerry Seinfeld starts complaining about PC culture, (laughs) when a man who's edgiest joke is about pop tarts. Is they're going? Is they're going? I don't like how things are going. Things aren't going well. And you, and you're like, like, like where, where? Who's complaining about? And maybe he does get more complaints because people going in, going into his show, think they're going to not hear anything offensive. You know, because arguably the sitcom Seinfeld was one of the edgiest multicam sitcoms ever made. They had a masturbation episode. Right, I know. And if you if you look underneath Jerry's words, which are clean, you see yeah. there's there's the same instincts, there's the same thoughts as all that you're sort of maybe wearing on your sleeve. He's just doing it in a different way. I, I, yes, I'm, 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 that, I I'm doing it in a non-clever way. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing it in the most basic human way. I'm actually saying the words. <laughs> and he's and he's letting the word play out in your brain. <laughs> there is, it is maybe a, a scalpel versus a sledgehammer sort of approach. <laughs> That's what I wanted 100%. to say. One hundred percent. I have a fond memory of of seeing you. First of all, I always love running into you. You're a real sweetheart. And oh, thanks, Pete. I, I think I think people know that. I mean, I think we're sophisticated to know that the shocking or whatever you want to call it, comedians, in my experience, are often very nice, and I don't know if this is true for you, often tend to be, I don't want to say sensitive, but aware. They actually don't want to hurt people's feelings. They want everybody to enjoy it. Would you? Yeah, I, I think I think there's part of that. I think also because when you're an offensive comic, it's like you, you really don't want to hurt people's feelings, and then often you do, you know, and so mm-hmm. so I always feel very apologetic after the shows. I'm just sort of like, oh, no, like if – I don't get any joy in people storming out of the room mm. or, or leaving the gig. And yeah, you know, sometimes if they're complete cunts, you know, if someone's heckling and they're a complete cunt, I get joy, I get joy out of that. But if, if they're just like, I want people to have a good time, yeah, I don't right. want them to have a bad time. Well, your most recent special, which is really funny, by the way, is called Intolerant, and you seem to be dialing that in. Well, it just was what it was, you know. It was, it was. I had, I had an hour-long story about shitting myself, and that's just what I was going at. Like people, I think people seem to think sometimes that it's a bit more manipulative that you go, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn away from doing something political or social commentary, or I'm not going to talk about sex as much or whatever." And it's really for me, it's just, it's just how I'm, you know, the jokes I've written that year, isn't it? Yeah. You know. And well, so, it didn't feel. It definitely didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like you were like, "Let me take the foot off the gas." It just seemed to yeah. be what you were about. But yeah. when you do those jokes about your dad, for example, yeah, sort of make fun of millennials for being more um, progressive than your father, I thought mm. that was like a really smart way of addressing. Like, of course, you're the product of your environment, and Bill Burr does that too. Where he, I don't know if you know that bit. I reference it all the time, where he's like the Duck Dynasty guy for being homophobic thought he was being a good boy. Do yeah, you, yeah. Do you remember that? So, no, I don't remember the routine, but, but that, that, he's right. He's 100% oh, right. Uh, of course, I'm not saying you got that from Bill. I'm saying there's a similar strain there where you can be like, listen, 
everyone's doing more or less sort of what was made available to them intellectually. And you were saying, I thought very compassionately and very funny, it's a miracle that my father voted pro-gay marriage. Let's go easy on him. Don't, don't, you said, don't make him be as fast as, as you are. He's old. Yeah, don't, don't make him travel as fast as you are because you'll scare him off. Yeah, because you'll scare him off. That's the line, Jim. That's the line. That's the line. That's the wink to the audience where you say, look, I'm here to entertain you. I'm here to delight you. I'm here to shock you, too, because that's part of fun. That can be a fun night, you know. But I'm well, also here. I, 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 was, I, was, I was getting a sitcom ready um, before COVID, and there was, uh, there's, there's a character in there. Uh, um, of my father is one of my because my dad moved in with me after my mother died for a bit and, and uh, so there was a character it's it's basically the set of Frasier it's some guy who has a kid and his dad moves in no wonder NBC bought it they bought it before anyway so, <laughs> so, so, so my dad moves in with me so anyway so we had Anthony LaPaglia who's like a, a very popular Australian actor he's won Tony Awards and Emmys and you know he's one of these real actors you know Anyway, so he came over and, and to, you know, he wanted to talk to my dad and meet my dad, you know, to get some some gauges. And then because this character was based directly on my father, I had to get my father to sign a, a legal release that he wouldn't sue the network. If I he wasn't, Yeah, if he, wasn't, if he wasn't happy. Yeah. And my father got the contract and as he was about to sign it, he looked up. And this is why my dad must know that he's got a few ancient... Uh, ideals right because my dad looked up to me and he goes this show is not going to have too much of my um personality in it is it (laughs) 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 so so that's someone who must at some level know that what they believe in is wrong it's creeping in on him also by the way forget ancient aliens i want to watch a history channel show called ancient ideals where it's just like (laughs) drone shots of nursing homes and it's like marriage is for a man and a woman you know like you know in the world men shouldn't wear colorful pants (laughs) ancient ideals yes you don't (laughs) two bathrooms that's it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> separate beds <laughs> for a long married couple oh, yeah. no talking um that is hilarious i had i had my parents for crashing sign the same thing and i don't know they seemed happy they were just like happy to be included was your dad sort of well that's 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 the weird thing so my 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 uh, this is my second sitcom so my first sitcom, my parents were played in that as well, you know, and um, and FX didn't make me get them to sign anything. That was the Wild West over there. Right. You know, they just, we they know your them. parents don't have FX is what it is. They have well, my parents, But that, that show aired in Australia. But, yeah, my, oh, parents, my. my parents were paid, like my mother was paid by a famous woman who was the, you know, the farmer's wife on the movie Babe and that woman called Magnus Abansky, who's a big comedian in Australia. And then, and then my father was played by George Lazenby, who was who the one Australian James Bond. So, <laughs> he must have loved that. Yeah, my dad loved that. And that guy, had, that guy hadn't worked for so long. It was the first time he was doing an acting job that, had, that was a digital camera. Oh, my God. 
So he was like, they were like, let's do another take. Let's do another take. Let's go. Surely we're out of film by now. Wow. That is fantastic. <laughs> I, I don't know if you, if your parents were on legit. I had this experience where I would show my parents the episode that they were in. And I really thought I was sort of lampooning them, you know, just kind of like in a fun, good spirited way, but I was making fun of our family. And my parents just thought it was so cool. My dad, for example, thought it was so cool that the actor that played him was good looking. That is what I look like, Peter. That is what I look like. And I was like, yeah, but did you see how he's sort of never in the conversation and he interrupts by saying, I bought a ladder once while we're having a serious conversation. Like none of that seemed to get through, but he liked that he wore a, a smart jacket. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. My, my, my mother was played by uh, she, a large, very funny lady, but like played by a large lady. My mother was a big, big lady. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and in the first episode, she went straight to hospital and she went in there with deep vein thrombosis. And this actually happened in real life. Everything that happened in the show happened with my mother in real life. And I used exact dialogue, like exact dialogue, to, to the point where one of my brothers said he had to leave the room while he was watching it because it was too creepy for him. It was too wow. close to, to what happened, right? Wow. Anyway, my mum was, was like this. Oh, oh, well, you know, at least you didn't do a character that was the same as me and you did a fictional version. And I'm like, what the fuck were you? Because she she wanted to, her brain wanted to protect itself. I, I think just, my mom said something, Jim. I'm not just I'm not kidding. She said something very similar. She was like, I, and I never did that at least. And I was like, that is verbatim what you said. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe this. When I was a kid, I always wanted to film what they said. I, they're lovely people, and they were great parents, but they were inconsistent. I used to yeah. have them sign contracts and stuff. I mean, when I was your son's age, I would write up, maybe a little bit older, maybe 10, 11, I'd write up contracts and have them sign it because I figured out when they were in a good mood, they would be like, yeah, you can have a, whatever, a phone for your room. And then when they would be in a bad mood, they would say, I never said you could have a phone for your room. So I'd have them sign (laughs) documents that I made up. I should have been a lawyer. And I was like, on this day, you say I can have a phone. And I would use it. It worked. I ha- and, and to this day, I'm still trying to show them, I don't know why, who they are. Maybe, maybe I'll light, lighten up as I get older. I'll, I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you a story about my, uh, my, bro- sorry, my, my brother. Yeah. My brother um, was getting married. And my other brother, my mother made him be a groomsman, right? And, you know, they got along all okay, but what, you know what I mean? It was his little brother was his great. Now, my brother got married very young. He was like 21, right? And so my other brother was a groomsman, like, he was like 19. He was just sitting there like this. And and they're in the room. We're in the house waiting to go up to the church. And my brother's there and he goes, that was pretty exciting. We're all wearing the same suits, you know. And my eldest brother turns to him and punches him in the arm. Just like he's just, you know, he's nervous. It's his wedding day. He turns and punches him in the arm. And so my brother goes, right. And he goes up to mum and he goes, mum, daddy just punched me in the arm. And then my mum's like, oh, look, Scott, he's nervous. It's his wedding day. It's not a big deal. Yeah, he's not to fucking punch people. Yes, okay. He punched on your wedding day. You can punch him in the arm. And my brother went, right. And he did the same thing. He went off and wrote a contract. 
<laughs> oh my god! And he made mum sign it like she's a poli- she's allowed to do this legally. Let people punch each other, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so he wrote he wrote a contract up and said he's allowed to punch her him in the arm. Anyway, maybe my my that brother got married at like twenty nine. So ten years later, we're having another wedding, and then out of nowhere. On the eve of the wedding, this contract comes out. And he's like, oh, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it may be the only reason he got married. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. I love that. I can't believe you had another family contract story. I was feeling crazy. And you're like, no, people do it. People do no, it. No, no, but... no, no, no. I, I remember catching my brother doing something stupid or he was doing something. He was breaking something, you know, and, and I, I found out he did something. It was something like he broke something. And like if mum mom and dad found out that he'd been in a lot of trouble. So I had it over him. Right. And I was a lot younger. And so he's like, he wrote up a contract that if I ever told mum or dad, I had to give him a million dollars if I ever made it. And I told him because I thought I'd never make a million dollars. Now I'm fucked. (laughs) (laughs) I I wrote that, I signed that contract when I was about eight. I didn't, I wasn't thinking. You you didn't dream big enough. It's like... (laughs) I don't know if you know that story, Jim Carrey, when his father passed, he put a check for a million dollars in his pocket. Did you ever hear that? I think it was like 10 million or something. Oh, really? So you do I I have issues with Jim Carrey and his speeches. I have issues with him. Well, I would imagine you would. I mean, you're you're fairly outspoken in your atheism, and Jim is completely on the other side, right? Well, it's, no, it's not. It's not the religion, but it's it's when he, it's every time there's a com- that commencement speech he does, and everybody in comedy who has never made it posts that fucking speech. Like, and my oh. father would have been a great comedian, but he just didn't have the gusto to do it, and then he lost his job, and I realized, huh. You can lose your job doing something you hate. Why not do something you love? And it's like, okay, first of all, Jim, you're extraordinarily talented. Extra, like, like a once-in-a-lifetime talent, like yeah. with these faces and all that type of stuff. We've never, we've never really – Jerry Lewis is the only thing that's close. We've never really seen anything like him. He's one of a kind. You, you might not be a fan of his, but you have to admit he's one of a kind, right? Right, right. And so you, an elite performer – wants to stand in front of people who are shit at fucking performing and tell them that they should perform because you made millions of dollars is the most misleading fucking thing and most hurtful, destructive thing you can do in society. That keeps cunts going for years past longer than they should. The speeches, all commencement speeches are give everything three years and if it's not progressing, quit it and try something new. Like this whole thing. That's pretty good. That's you should give that commencement speech, Jim. No shit. Like we talk about this on the podcast a lot. Where forgive me for quoting myself. It's the most pretentious thing you can do. But I say, follow the dream that's also following you. Meaning, if it's not if it's not there, your talents probably lie elsewhere. But because our culture values famous people, rich people, funny people, everyone kind of gets in that line. When it's like you might be a brilliant wood carver you might be a brilliant architect like maybe it's not this maybe it's not yeah, but also also this whole never give up never <laughs> 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 
Never. <laughs> like, 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 keep trying your best as long as possible. There's got to be something in there, but there's a, there's a happy meeting, but never give up. Never give up. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do something. There's plenty of people in this world that should be able to tell people they can't do things. Oh, We've already got gosh. people. We've already got people that are that are in fucking the police are telling you you can't do things. A, a driving instructor will tell you you can't have a driver's license. There are plenty of people in place <laughs> in our society. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard LA is the only town where you can die of encouragement. At a oh, certain yeah. at a certain is that, is that a real saying? Is that a real, it's saying? A real saying? Yeah, that at a sense. certain point, dude. The problem is, I'm thinking, I'm working this out with you. The problem is there's so many stories that, like Jim's speech, get kicked around where it's like, no one, I can't believe my example is Kid Rock, but Kid Rock is the example that comes to mind. Kid Rock, like, failed as a musician for, like, 15, 20 years or whatever. And he should have failed for longer. Like, that guy's a lottery winner if I've ever fucking heard one. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm, now I'm glad I, I could only think of Kid Rock because that was hilarious. <laughs> and he should have failed for longer. <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. But we have those examples of the outliers. You know what yeah. I mean? So we, like, collectively, we have a cultural metaphor of, like, never quit, never quit, never quit. But what you said, give something three years. Like, when you started stand-up, in your open mic years, yeah. you, you had to be getting a sense that you were doing as well by your own standard, but also kind of compared to your peers. Would that be When I say give it three years, you don't have to be successful in three years. Yeah. You just have to be showing progression in, right. it, it, at, at anything you do, at anything you do. If, if you do anything, if you're not showing any progression after three years, it's like, it's like I've started playing golf in quarantine. And I have shown no progression. It's been six months of me playing golf. I have gotten like ever so slightly better, but it's like you, you can't see it with the human eye. Right? <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it another two and a half years. And if it doesn't get better than this, that's me and golfing done. Because I've given it a go. That's the other side of it. Um, I, I think this is fantastic. I'm sorry to get so excited, but I am. It's like the other side of it is give it three years. Because yeah. everyone sucks at stand-up at first. We all sucked. You yeah, yeah. sucked. I sucked. Jerry Seinfeld sucked. We all sucked. And that's part of it. And then you just keep doing it. And I love the number three years. I think there's a reason why university and all these things are about Three four years. It's, yeah, every 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 apprenticeship is three to four years in any in any job, any real job. You go to college to become a doctor, and it takes three to four. Although you know what I've been thinking about in quarantine. So, so I I was going to do this sitcom. I memorized this, the script. I was about six days out from filming it. We went into lockdown. I went to look at the script the other day. I don't remember a single word of it. I don't remember any of my stand up, and I don't write anything down. So I have to come up with a whole new show because I haven't written any, all the new jokes down. I, I, I don't remember anything. There's no I'm audio? Not, I'm not do, Yeah, I don't have anything. I don't, because I didn't, I don't do it over and over and over. I haven't done, been doing it over and over again. So what is oh, the man. point of college, right? Shouldn't we just get the smartest people and say, you're a doctor and then give them a book. And if someone comes in and goes sore throat, they just look it up because what, what, 
who's actually sitting there? What actual doctor's sitting there going, oh, I remember day 62 of my second year in doctor's college. We talked about this. An Achilles fractural scar. Like, what? You didn't fucking know. You're walking over the hallway to the other doctor going, what do I do here? And he goes, oh, you do this. And you go, thanks, mate. Then you go back and say, oh, I know what's happening here. That's why well, that, they're always leaving the room. That, they're that, always leaving the room. That's the Seinfeld bit. Seinfeld has that bit. He's like, that's why they're always going into the office because they're like, what the hell was that? Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, they don't know. But you're sort of making the argument, which is a good argument, for like, isn't an AI better? I mean, like human intuition has to play a, a part. In fact, I'm not kidding when I say I think there was an episode of Doogie Hauser about this. But it's like there is the human intuition kind of feeling somebody out, knowing which questions to ask, knowing how to get somebody to open up. Like, you know, you have that great bit about how many drinks you drink in a day, how many you used to. When I drank, everyone knows you lie on that question. Like, everybody is just sort of like, oh, you know, like, to... And a doctor- I, was, I, was, I did Joe Buck's podcast the other day. We talked about this exact thing. Yeah. It, it, when you go to the doctor and they go, how many cigarettes do you had? And you go, and how many drinks do you have? You lie. And now in Britain, I used to tell the truth because I wanted to live, right? <laughs> and, 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 and in America, I lie because I don't want my premium to go up. I don't oh, want- my God. That's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> in America, because of private health care, everyone just um, – have you ever had hemorrhoids? No, no, no. Have you ever- <laughs> Because I once before I became once before I joined SAG or after and got my health insurance there, I got health insurance. Just was paying for my own when I got here, and they were like, um, "What?" And I said, oh, "I've suffered from depression." And then they and then they like, my insurance was like four hundred five hundred bucks a month for a healthy person. And I was like, "Why is it so expensive?" They go, "Oh, you um, you noted here that you had depression." And I went, "Yeah, but the the end result's suicide. Like it's not like it's a long." You're not like I'm going to be in hospital for a long time with it. If you are looking at the cost, which a corporation is, I mean, you have a dark, you have a dark point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not like one of those long cancers that the fucking they get. Oh my god! (laughs) I this brings me. I have so many things to say. One, you answer whichever one you want. I'm curious what having a bigger mom did for you because you're, you sort of seem like somebody that took maybe teasing or like sensitive areas and I turned it around. I didn't just have a bigger mom. I had a 300 pound mom who was a school teacher at my school. So wow. I, I, I have different levels of this, right? My mum was a, a, a substitute teacher. You call them substitute teachers here or relief yeah. teachers? Substitute. substitute teacher. But she was the first one they called. So my mother would be at school every day, but you'd, you'd walk into a classroom and you'd never know when she was about to come. You know, you'd walk in, you'd be having a good day. You'd be flirting with a girl. You'd be 16, you know, you walk in and then boom, she was there. And there's no one, we were brutal to our substitute teachers, brutal, because we knew they had no real power, so it was just a day off. Well, my, to counteract that, my mother was just a disciplinarian from hell. She was just sending people down to offices, and you were kicked out, and you are in trouble, and that she was writing people up. And all. So, so the, here's, here's an, I don't, I, I, I'm one of these people that uses the word ironic all the time, not quite knowing what it means. Uh, so here's here's an ironic thing, right? So my 
my sex ed- you get three months of sex education in the Australian healthcare system, in the Australian school system, right? And it's all done in the same three months and you have an hour of it a week, right? Uh, anyway, so my sex education teacher was on maternity leave. Get out. Right? Get out. I can't. Yeah, so she was on, mater- <laughs> she was on maternity leave and so they bring in my mother, Carolyn. Up she gets, and I walk in there, and there's just that picture of like that fucking like the the the, the ovaries and the uterus that looks like a cow's head, and then there was that side-on picture of the the penis limp with the testicle and the scrotum cut out. I so know exactly, that. dude. I have a penis, and that drawing confuses the fuck out of me. I'm like, <laughs> where is the leg? Where are we slicing this? Where is it? I don't understand that. <laughs> Yeah, so, so, and I just, I didn't, I didn't show up to those classes, so I just didn't show up, and my mother, God bless her, because she was, I was heavily disciplined as a child, but she never turned me in on that one, so officially, and this might answer a few questions, officially, I've never had state-funded sex education, no, the government never taught me anything, I didn't show up for those wow. classes, too wow. embarrassing. Do you know when a girl becomes a woman? <laughs> like you got the basics. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I know. Have you ever put a condom on a banana just in your free time? <laughs> well, I, I, I've seen it done. <laughs> well, I'm. Can I, can I plug my podcast quickly? Yeah. I want to. I keep on doing podcasts and never plug my podcast. I got a podcast and it's called "I Don't Know About That." Right. And it's just, that saying comes from my father. Whenever you get into an argument with him and you make a really, really good point, and that like he'll say things like, oh, I got Donald Trump's good because of blah, 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 blah. And then you make a good point and he'll go, well, I don't know about that. That's his way of still winning the argument. Yep. But, but uh, not conceding. My dad also says, I don't know about that. If like I've had those, that exact same experience where I'll, I think what it is, is one of the things I'm always trying to get my dad to concede and this is a big one, is that what he thinks is true for him isn't true for everybody. And, yeah. like, and he'll, he'll say something like, I want this person to do this so they'll be happy. And I'll be like, well, maybe that would make you happy, but that doesn't mean that would make them happy. And like, you think you've won him over, and he'll just be like, he'll get a thousand mile stare, and then he'll be like, no, it would make them happy. And you're like, <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. Like, people are different. Like he, but that's sort of, I don't want to say it's his genius, but he sort of, it's helped him succeed in the world is that he thinks everyone's like him and that sort of gives him a confidence. I, I, I can't explain it. Yeah, I, I think it's just so that my dad has, doesn't have to admit he's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 so, so I decided to do this podcast where we just i walk into the podcast every week and this also saves me and i get my i get my producer to book me guests so i don't know who's coming in at each week and each week it's sort of like a professor or someone who owns a company or something like that and they have a specialty subject so last week was coca-cola beverages uh a couple of weeks before that we had jay leno on talking about cars and then we uh, you know a few different ones right That's we did great. reptiles we've done bees We've done cheese, right? <laughs> and, then, and then I just say every single thing I know about that subject. Because you know, remember before the internet, when you used to have that guy that was in a bar that would just talk and you'd think he was a genius? 
And you go, oh, there's this guy I know. He just knows everything. And then the internet came out, and then you realize this cunt knew nothing. Right? <laughs> that was my experience with my dad. My whole life would yeah. be like, Thomas Jefferson invented the revolving door. And then we, we just, in the late 2000s, we just started Googling everything he said, and almost none of it was accurate. <laughs> it was real. <laughs> but then many- that's when he'd be like, I don't know. That, dude, that's what it was. He would say, I don't know about that Google. He literally said that. He was like, I think I'm right. I don't know about Google. Who's Yeah, Google I don't know about Google? that. That's why I still, I proved my dad wrong on the Google. He goes, oh, I don't know about that. I don't I, know about that. We're having very well, similar They do know. Someone knows. But also <laughs> the internet is full of shit. We've got all this misinformation. I hate to sound like all fake newsy or whatever, but just little things like, like sometimes I'm quoted on memes, uh, something I never said. Yeah, and then no, sometimes I, the quote on the meme is like more intelligent than me. And I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll take that one. For that's sure. One. I mean, that's been happening since the dawn of time. It used to be things were misquoted to the Buddha, like in Buddhism. That was a big thing. It still is. And now it's Bill Murray. I'll, yeah, see, yeah, yeah. I'll see like a meme that says like, don't marry someone until you travel with them. Bill Murray. And I'm like, I just, I have a feeling anyone could have said that. You just put it on. Well, there, there's, the, there's, the, there's the one that says, um, well-behaved women seldom make history, right? right? right. And that one's, that one's either Eleanor Roosevelt or Marilyn Monroe. Not, the, the, the we don't know. Them, yeah. The two of them get credit for it. And also, every time I've ever gone over to a girl's house and she has that quote or she's posted that quote on her Instagram, that's some of the worst people I've ever met in my life. And, 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 they're, and they're, not, they're not making history. It's, it's like... They're making it's memes. Like, it's like, oh, Sharon here, fuck my brother. Oh, we, we better go write that down in the history books. You know what I mean? Oh, someone's going to a party and bitching about everyone who's there. Oh, call the documentarians. Oh, my God. So you were saying... I'm curious, forgive me for being so my podcast um, and trying to get thoughtful or whatever, but it's like your mom is like a mythic figure in your school at a time when you don't want your mom there anyway, if she was just a regular teacher and she's a substitute teacher, which makes her even more reviled and she's a bigger woman. Yeah. Is this where you started developing your superpower for, for your humor? Uh, if someone, yeah, it gives you a thick skin. If someone says something, you don't get in a fight. So, you know, I had people walk past me in the hallway and go, your mum is a fat bitch. And, and I'd be like this, you know, preaching to the choir, man. You know, <laughs> I just, I just oh roll with God. it. You know, Like, cause what are you going to do? You're going to you- fight everyone, you know, so you just, you just put up with it, you know, but, but also it made you, it made you be a bit more of a smart ass, you know, and, and also, I think I, I think it also helped me a little bit. Now, we're, I, I've never given her credit for this. And she's passed away now, so she'll never hear this. She would have enjoyed this. but um, <laughs> And I've never said this, but, but I, you know, I was the class clown. I was the kid chipping in and saying things all the time. And I infuriated a lot of teachers. But I never got into too much trouble because I think those teachers were scared of my mum as well. Oh, my gosh. So I was given a little bit of a free pass to act like a prick. Wow. And that helped your your prick root take root. (laughs) (laughs) That helped me me be fearless about being prick out in the wild. Well, that's 
That's great. That is what I was after because what I was going to say to you was a fond memory other than just running into you and, 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 and being remarking how uh, nice you are. I remember being at the improv. This is improv on Melrose. Mm. And I think I went up. I, I must have gone up and then I was just hanging out. And the crowd was light and it was just sort of like, I also got the sense that they were sort of skittish. Like pe- right. people, people were backing away from rough stuff. Now I'm more of a sunshine and lollipops comedian. I'm going up, I'm talking about dogs. I'm keeping it safe. And I had fun. And then some other people were going up and they were being a little bit dirtier and it just wasn't, it just wasn't working. So, so let's right off the bat, take the theory that if you say fuck, people are going to love it. Right. Right. Then you went up. I remember seeing you and I was like nervous for you, which is silly, but I was like, (laughs) I don't know if this is Jim's crowd. I didn't know you. I don't even think I said hello to you. But I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. And Jim, you went up and the first thing you said was like the darkest thing I've ever heard. I don't remember what the joke was, but you went, you did, you know, the Bernie Mac story. I ain't scared of you motherfuckers. Yeah. You went, I'm not scared of you motherfuckers. And within 30 seconds, a room that was like pretty bad, like just kind of tired and and sort of taking themselves very seriously was rolling laughter. And you were, you were talking about like, it might as well have been missing kids or something like that. It was like, probably was. I had a whole bit on them. Yeah. It was the darkest of the dark meaning, but something weird happened when something's so dark, everyone agrees it's dark. The crowd kind of had the ability to, to agree we know this is fucked up. It's not like an issue where we, where some people think it's good that kids go missing. We all know this is fucked up. It sort of helped them understand your perspective. And you had this confidence that I just, I had never seen anything like it. And I, and then like five minutes in, you're destroying. I love that about you, but I'm that night. And since then, I've always wanted to ask you, that's had to have gone the other way a million times. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, when, when I was listening to you, I, 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 I hope the people who are listening to this podcast don't, don't think that's how it always goes. I, but that's what I, when, when you're a comedian oh, I, watching I had, another comedian. I had, I had one, where, I had one, and it, 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 this is, you know, and I'm not homophobic in any way or, you know, I, I, I don't have to justify that. I, I, you know, I, I, did a, I did an afternoon show and I was down there for the dirty show, right? In Montreal? The, the nasty show in Montreal, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're meant to be as rude as possible. And people will get into you after the show, like, you were ruder last year. You were, I was more offended last year. I'm so I'm sorry I didn't offend you, you know? Yeah. Anyways, so, so I go to do this. Where, where are you? I go to do this show. I go to do this show in the afternoon called Bubbling with Laughter, right? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, and it's all like e-entertainment presenters and stuff like that doing really clean stuff and you know <laughs> yeah, there was there was, there was uh, I think Alan Carr was on before me if you ever met Alan I'm friends with Alan but he became a very big uh, comic in Britain very camp um I, I don't know what the word is in Britain flamboyantly gay man yeah yeah and then there was and then there was another comic on who was a gay guy and you know we're all hanging it's all good right I go on stage and everyone's enjoying their comedy right they're <laughs> nailing it I go on the, the, the room is not in a mood for a guy like me, right? Yes. And so I said an offensive joke. I said an offensive joke and, and the audience booed 
And I said, this is what went terrible. I said, I said, wow, you think I'm offensive? The two acts before me were gay. <laughs> oh, my God. And I obviously meant it as a joke. Right, right, right. Obviously, these guys were friends of mine. These it's so over the top. That's, a, that's what I mean about the missing children thing. It's like, of course I'm joking. We of all agree. Of course I'm joking. And it just went completely tits up. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 that's not. And, I, and then I started, I started to back away like, no, I'm friends with those guys. It's okay. <laughs> that is. See, that's what I mean. Like the, the when it works, when it's perfect, and you've had a glorious career. Glorious. You've had a glorious career. I've had of, a glorious career <laughs> of finding those pockets and really uh, making it work. But I, I can't. When I watch people like you and people like Eddie Izzard, I know that's very different. But Eddie is like all these really long stories, and it's performative. Similarly, how does someone like you start? Because someone like you, you just sort of said, you need an audience that kind of well, I, I, gets I, you. I, this act only... Re- okay, I, I was talking about this on another podcast recently. Um, um, okay, so when I first came to America, and we're talking 13 years ago, the American comedy landscape was different than the British landscape. And, and I'll tell you why. So how I worked... How I became what I am now is I used to have a 15, 20-minute set that I did in the clubs, and then I had to do the Edinburgh Festival. And the Edinburgh Festival, you have to do an hour. And I was like, oh, fuck me, I've got to do an hour. So I tried to get some PowerPoint behind me, and I tried to <laughs> – and I started telling these – I started telling a couple of stories that were these long-winded stories that I couldn't do in the clubs that I didn't know whether they'd work or not. And so, so my whole career up to that was doing Edinburgh each year because that's the only way I could get noticed. They weren't going to put me on TV. And so if I could get popular doing Edinburgh and sell more tickets each time, you know, and it's not like, it's not like the other comedy festivals where you have to be invited. You just go there yourself and you book your own space and you hope for the best, you know. And so, so I was very focused on trying to do a, a different hour every year. And the only way I knew how to do that is, and I do this to this day, is to find a story that's, to, to that, that, like in my new special, there's a 40-minute story about being lactose intolerant. I slap some material in the middle of it, and all of a sudden, the story is an hour long, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so my focus was making things into an hour, and everyone in America back then was focused on making something six minutes or four minutes so they could get on The Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. Do you remember how America was like that? I've got to get my Tonight Show set honed. And you, well, that, that was the joke, especially, did you go to LA? That was the LA stereotype was like, yeah. I have my six minutes, but I can't do an hour. Whereas I started in Chicago and I was like, you have to have an hour. You have to like be a working guy. You get to LA. It was, the joke was a lot of actors who have five minutes. That was, that was the, the that's, sort of that's joke. Good, so, so I went to Montreal and I did my, I, I did my solo show. I did my solo show and... And there was all these like ages, like we can't believe that you just did a forty-minute story there. Like, and I was like, and I, I, I was doing that out of necessity, not out of like this was my groove. I was doing like I got to fill this fucking time, you know. So, so, so I always think about like, and now that's the norm because everyone's getting special. So comedy right. shifted. Comedy Isn't that is not funny? The, the, the art is chasing the commerce because the commerce used to be short set, get famous. Now it's long set, get paid. Like yeah, long set, get paid, do a special, do, this, do the live show, do the live right, shows, go on right. tour. And so the long form of comedy, which I prefer, 
I think it's a better system than, but like guys like me, I wouldn't get through the first round and America's got talent because right. that's the, that's the show now that is doing the, the short, the short form again. Right. You know, I couldn't get up. I, I don't think I've got a joke that's shorter than four minutes. Like I don't, I don't know how to fucking do one of those anymore. You know, but have you, you ever, go ahead. Have you ever done a competition where you had to do like a small amount of time? I can't like you just saying that makes my body like fill with adrenaline and like dread because yes, of course that's like when you're starting out or at least when I was starting out in like 2000, one of the quickest ways to get stage time was to do degrading things where they would, I considered them degrading contests, two comedians go head to head in a bracket and you have to do three minutes. It still happens. And I'm like, who the fuck? It favors, I love Mitch Hedberg, but it favors. You, you cut me out there. Um, people that can do basically like tweet jokes. Did you get me? I, 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 got, I got the gist. It favors Mitch Hedberg and tweet. I used to do in Britain a thing at the comedy store called the Gong Show, which was brutal. There was, there was an MC. I eventually I got to the stage where I was hosting the Gong Show. That's where you know you've really come along. <laughs> anyway, so there'd be a big there'd be a big gong on stage, and you'd have to last five minutes to get into the final, you know. And mm. most people last forty seconds, and the audience would be given to, to three people, and they got random big red cards, like in soccer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if the, so, the, the the judge on stage can gong whenever he wants or she wants, um, but the audience can also decide when to gong when they put the red cards up. And they can also just start yelling out, gong, like that, right? I hate this. Brutal. I, I hate I this. Did it tw- I did it twice because to get into the comedy store, you had to have done it. The- I lasted three minutes the first time, and then I lasted five minutes the second time. But because my five minutes was the, the three cards were given out, the men- my five minutes was all misogynistic material. When I got into the final, it was just an applause off. I lost by a mile, but I did complete the five minutes. <laughs> That's really funny. I always used to lose to uh, a very funny guy named Nathan Trenholm, and Nathan was dirty. And I was going up. So I always had this thing where I was like, I would do better at the contest because they're in bars and people are drunk. And I'm going up talking about ice packs. And then I remember he'd have all these things about like, he had a very funny joke about like angels fucking or something. And it would just destroy and I wonder if you, was it an advantage to be shocking ever in those sorts of situations? I, um, uh, yeah, of course it was an advantage. Yeah, shock quality will get you. I, I, I don't like when people say, when they write a review of you or whatever, and they, they, go, they call it easy. Mm. Yeah, they, they go, I, you take, they think that being dirty is taking the easy way out. Is well, it? That's why I told you that story about the improv. People were being dirty. That's, yeah. that's what I think is key in the compliment of that story is yeah, other people if, if, were being dirty. To, to, to be really dirty, you have to also be charming. You that's can't right. just be, there's nothing worse than an uncharming person saying something horrendous. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just really off-putting, you know. Well, it's funny, you said it earlier, the guy in the bar that doesn't know anything but keeps quoting like, you know, dinosaurs are from Arizona and, and we just had to believe him. Yeah. You sort of have, I think part of your appeal is it's like you're in a bar, I don't know you, you're yeah. alone, 
my friends go to the bathroom, I just start talking to you, and you're really funny. But what is that guy? That guy's charming, and he sort of has that, like, you're inviting me into your world. That's sort of what it feels like when I watch Yeah, but that, that guy can also irritate a lot of other people at the bar. You know, <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the thing about, about, like, you can leave a party and have, or a workplace or whatever, and have a very different experience than the other person that you shared the space with. Yeah. Where, where you can think it was a great night out and they can think that guy was a fucking pain in the ass or they or vice versa or you know what I mean? Like For your sure. experience isn't the experience of everyone else around you. No, that's it. And, and because, you... how many times have you seen like, like people who have seen your show and there's like, it was fantastic. It was better. Back when I was drinking a lot on stage, they used to go like, he was wasted and he was hysterical like this. And then like, and the next guy would be like, how dare he be drunk on stage? About it. And so it's like, wow, these people had completely, a diff- they saw a different fucking thing completely. So that's why I don't really, I don't really listen to critics on, you know, anything really, movies or anything. You know, it's, it's like, it's like uh, my favorite movie of the year was uh, Eurovision and it got panned. I watched it three times. I thought it was hysterical. Is that, what is that movie? It's the Will Ferrell Netflix movie. Where oh, Rachel I'm, sorry to, I'm sorry to say I, I turned it off. I, I, yeah, people I didn't hated enjoy it. it. Yeah. People hated it. I loved it. Interesting. I it was- Can I, were you in a great mood when you put it on? I was high the first time. And so I watched the second there time. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so the second time I watched it unhigh and I still enjoyed it. And my son, I think also I watch Eurovision every year. Uh, so maybe that. So I it. have I have a reference point. I watch that competition every year. I find it very entertaining that they they that each country sends in a song. But isn't that it? I mean, like you had a little reference. I, I've tried to do this on stage. It doesn't work. But I'm like, if you're going to write a review of a movie or a stand-up show or whatever, I need you to write three pages of how your day was going before you tell me. <laughs> I, I, you laugh because you understand. Yeah. I, I, the one way I got it to work was I was like, never trust a couple in love to tell you if a movie was good or not. Because like they'll see a piece of shit and they were just happy to be sitting next to each other holding hands and sharing popcorn. So they, of course they loved, must love dogs. You know what I mean? If you want to know if a movie's good or not, ask a depressed, lonely person that went and saw it by themselves. Well, I, do, I, I do a I do a joke about the Bachelor. Um, I, I, that's, you just remind me of one of my newer jokes that I've never recorded, so I've got something to say. But I'll hey, say there it, it is. Anyway, but the, the joke the joke is about about how you I watch the Bachelor, you know, and on the Bachelor they're always falling in love because the dates are so good. You know, that's it. This is exactly. I'm I'm telling you, this is exactly what I'm saying. You were on a helicopter in Maui. Right? Yeah, you're in a helicopter in Maui. You landed in a vineyard, and then you were served fucking food by people that right, with a private chef. It was a good day. I go. They should have pressure dates. Yes. Where it's like it's like okay, on this date you've been getting along, but on this date, okay, you're uh, it's 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 uh, she's two days out from her period and she won't admit it. He's on day three of giving up cigarettes. And you're off to the DMV. <laughs> you're off to the DMV and you have the wrong forms. That's right? it. That's it. And if you can do that, that's what a relationship is. That's what a relationship Because I can do the helicopter ride with almost anyone. That's, it. that's exactly it. But there's some wisdom to that. You saying that when a thousand people see your stand-up show, 
it's a thousand different shows. And when you're on a date, there's all these factors that have nothing to do with the person. I don't know if this will make sense. My but wife I and I- know, Like when you date a person, so I went, before I met my, my, my girl, I, I went on a whole heap of dates with people. You know, after I broke up with my son's mother, I went on a whole heap of dates. And, 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 uh, and on one of the, on some of the dates, it's like, I met some girls who, who now, if you look at them on Instagram, have got a guy and they're happy and all that sort of stuff. And they were the most boring people. And I'm like, how on earth? And then it's like, but these people mustn't find them boring. And they found me boring as well. They, they That's were, right. like I, said, I said that surprise. And they found <laughs> me boring. <laughs> Can you believe it? But you want to you be at the date and like they're just like not having a good time. And you're like, people enjoy this company. They do. That's right. I've people... seen it happen. <laughs> well, if you ever run into that, this is a, a pitfall I fell into my early years of stand-up. You want to be like, people pay to hear me talk. Like you get like this sort of cockiness inside. I, I've dropped it since, but oh, the first I, time you I, get I paid that, to do stand-up. I, I, when I'm at parties and I'm telling stories, I'm telling it like a story and everyone's like, I always like remind myself, okay, stop talking. You know, let everyone else at the party talk. You're right, talking too right. much again. Like right. that, right? And then there's that little devil over my shoulder that goes, yes, but you get paid to tell stories. These people are probably having a wonderful time. Yes. <laughs> They're practically making money tonight. <laughs> they didn't have to pay. They're going to walk out with a profit. This is what I wanted to say about how mood can affect everything. Val and I, we're on vacation. We went and looked at a house, like a little house. And, and you start getting like, you, you ever been in like a, a nice part of the country and you're just like, we could have like a second house out here. Like just yeah. like a, little, a little shack, a little place that we can go and we'll have friends. And we went and looked at it. And I was like, that night, I was like, I think maybe we should get that house. Like, I think I'm, I'm into it. And then we were sitting down to watch TV. And I said, what do you think, Val? Is it time should we watch Game of Thrones? We've never watched it. And she went, we're not getting the house. And I said, why? And she went, if you can see the potential in Game of Thrones, which we've tried a few times and given up, that just yeah. means you're in the state where you see anything can be amazing. We should try everything. And she was right. I was just so <laughs> happy and relaxed. I was like, we should buy this little cabin. We should watch Game of fucking Thrones, even though I've watched that pilot nine times and I don't want to watch a show with all those realms and all these wars and all this bullshit I don't care about. I can't do it. Thank you. I watched, <laughs> I watched season one of Game of Thrones and I watched the final season. Because everyone was watching it in my house. Yes. And I watched none of the seasons in between. And I don't think I'll ever give a shit. <laughs> and I, and I, I like Lord of the Rings and I like stuff. I like fantasy. I like it. But I was just like, I don't give it. You know what I didn't like? It's like, oh, no, I am the fucking, I'm such and such. And I'm the, the king of this little area. And it's like, everyone was just the king of a fucking village. Yeah. It's like, what do you give a fuck for? Jim, You're in charge of like 50 people. If I need then, to download a map to enjoy a show, I'm out. I already have this clusterfuck. I don't know where the town, I don't know where Perth is. You know what I mean? Like now, now I have to learn where Wintercrest is. It's also, it's also like a little village. And then all of a sudden they go into battle and there's like a thousand people. You're like, where do these people live? The town center didn't even have a big building. 
It was just like <laughs> fucking fun. Jim, that is a bit. That's a perfect bit. Where did these people live? <laughs> they have 10,000 soldiers, but they don't have a coffee shop? <laughs> yeah, they, they really didn't. Oh, they had that oh. one episode. They had that one episode with Starbucks. They found a Starbucks cup. You, you heard about this, right? In one of the final seasons, in, in the episode, in the background, someone had left a Starbucks cup, you know, like some actor had just put it down, you know? Oh, my God. And everyone was just like, oh, how could this happen? And then it's like, it's a fucking fantasy. <laughs> so now they have Starbucks. It's good. At least they have one shop. I hadn't seen anything. The only shops they I didn't even see a person selling food in the first season. All they have is like a guy making axes. It's the only shop. You can't sustain a society with just a blacksmith. You're reminding me. Tell me if, if this is up your alley. People are always saying prostitution is the oldest profession. I used to have a bit about this. I was like, what about farming? You can't build a society. Like, you got to have roads. You got to have a house. You got to have That's carpenters. Fair. You can't That's just have very funny. old woman standing in the wilderness just like, I'll give you a hand job. That doesn't a society make. No, no, I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. I think before farming, because, no, I think it was the first. Because see, because cavemen, because it's not an occupation to hunt your own food for your family and to gather your own food for your family. And then there was oh. like there was like one cave woman who walked over and went, "Give me some of those berries," and he, and he's like, "No, I gathered these today." And he, she's like, "Give me a bit of saber tooth tiger," and he's like, "Suck my dick," and she went, "Deal," right? But it's bartering, yeah. I guess it was bartering. It was bartering. There wasn't cash. Because if you think there was a cash system, the first, I think, the first I think occupation was someone who made cash. That was that was part of the bit. You're helping me remember a bit where I was like, if it was the oldest profession, how would you pay for it? <laughs> no, in the in the bartering system, that was always a product that people wanted next mm. to next to other things. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Um, what? And that's why men hunted. That's why we got so muscular and hunted things because we wanted to buy prostitutes. <laughs> I knew there would be things where I'm like, "Am I? Is this okay to laugh at?" But that's the fun. That's the yeah. fun. Um, what was I going to ask you? Oh, I was wondering. You were saying something about like dads. Like if you when Jim Carrey gives the speech where they're like, my dad would have been a comedian. And Jim, I've done that, too. I've been like, dad, in different circumstances, I think you could have been a very funny comedian. And then I thought you were about to be like, that's 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 nonsense. (laughs) Well, I think I think my dad could have been. And there's a lot that comes into play. I don't know whether he would have had the confidence to do it, but he is funny. He's an off-the-cuff guy. My dad's very funny. But, you know, I don't I don't know. Maybe, maybe he could have, yeah, if he applied himself. I just don't think it was something that he ever thought or wanted to do, you know. It my is- brother could, I, one of my brothers could have been a comedian. One of my brothers could have been a comedian. And I've got, I've got, uh, I, I've got uh, one niece could be a comedian. You know how, like, you see the lineage of people, like, you're like, oh, that one's got it. That one doesn't have it. I think my son does have it. I think he's like, I look at it like a Jedi Knight thing. Like, I'm like, ah, the force is strong with this one, you know. And then, (laughs) you know, but like, but then there's other ones where you're like, I've got, 
mother and nieces don't have it. Nice people, nothing wrong with them, you know. Right. You, you, can, be, <laughs> you can be a good person and not be funny. Forgive me if you've gotten this question before, but if your son wanted to be a comedian, would you think that was great? Um, I don't believe I would encourage it because I feel like, I feel like, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough job and the, the success to miss ratio and all that type of stuff. But I wouldn't, if he wanted to do it, I wouldn't discourage him. I wouldn't, you know, but I wouldn't push it upon him. Like you should be a comedian. I, I, I won't, I won't push him into it. But if he was like, I want to try it, which I, I don't know. I feel like if your dad's a comedian, there's a good chance at some point he'll yeah, but this is This is the thing. This is the thing. Sometimes with athletes, it works out and the kid is actually better than the, the dad. So you got Ken Griffey, then you got Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you, 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 know, you know what I mean? Like you've got like, like there's a, what's his name? Mike Love. The, in the, the other, okay. Well, who is the, There's a few of them. There's a few where the kids are better. And then there's other ones where the kids aren't better, but there's never been a, a comedian comedian that's topped their parent. Yeah, the, Richard Pryor's son I watched on YouTube, and it was it was pretty um, it was emotional to watch. I was like, this is a guy who's literally the son of the greatest comedian that ever lived, and you're like, what a burden. But then you're also like, but Pryor grew up in Peoria, Illinois, in a in a brothel. And like the the trauma and and the and the character and the personality that that gave him is way different. Like I seem to be talking to you in a screening room. Yeah. Has anyone ever been funny that their father had a screening room? I don't know. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, 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 I'm now just at the stage where where I, I'm like I have to make enough money for me to retire, and I have to make enough money for him to retire as well because he's going to be pointless. <laughs> 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 and it's like and it's not he's the he's the, he's the greatest little boy crazy look but like the, the the drive how can you have drive you know it's like it's like i guess sometimes it does you know because there are as i said there's there's people who like kobe bryant's father was a basketball player and 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 he was you know playing off in asia and japan or something like that he's playing somewhere in asia and then then Kobe was just so much better than his dad. And, but Kobe grew up with money because his father was an international basketball player and he still had the drive and all that type of stuff. So, you know, I, I guess you can. It's interesting. I don't it's like know. Donald Trump, no matter what you think of him, he's sort of out. His father was, I mean, sort of out, did his dad, didn't he? But his dad well, I mean, was that's been something throughout history. I mean, some of the King Henrys and, and that. I'm not an expert, but I mean, you see with politics and money sometimes the the it's almost like an edible thing the the desire to kill your father is is strong it's almost like fueled by spite or like a shadow where i don't know it, it can go that then way. you have like then you have like jfk and his son or maybe it's bobby's son or whatever then you've got jfk and then you've got, got the, the 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 one of their sons right now it's just like an anti-vaxxer who's a pain in the ass. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I wonder, basketball is fun. And if your dad is rich and he can get you full court access and a, a coach and, you know, other people to play with, I feel like that would be an advantage. 
where comedy, and I'd love to hear you talk about this. I've already, I've already built a comedy club in my backyard for such an occasion. Did you really? Oh, that would be so funny for social distancing. I, it's sad that I believed you because of how weird the world is. Oh, um, I, I watched comedians perform. I did one of those shows in front of cars and, and people who were running it were lovely and the audience were lovely people and everyone. We were all trying to make it the best it could be, but it just, it did, for me anyway, yeah. it wasn't right. It's not right yet. I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait until it's time. I just, you're trying to do new jokes and you're like, I'm doing these in front of cars. I don't know where they work anymore. And I'm trying to work back in some old jokes that I slightly remember. And so you're like, oh, i got to work on these things now. And, you know, so I just, I, until, it's, until it's time, I'm just going to sit back and, you know, podcast a bit, try to write maybe some sitcom episodes. You know, I've written a couple of sitcom episodes and stuff like that that I might be able to use in the future. Just, you know, busy work. But, I, I, you know, I've also learned through this whole quarantine thing that I, I think I'll be okay if I never have to do it again. If I just retire, I think I'll be okay. I see a lot of comedians who are like, I, I miss it so much. And I do miss it a lot. But, you know, I, I don't miss the traveling as much or anything like that. So I think I'll be all right if it, if, if, if it takes a long time. We have that in common. I was actually, because you are such a comics comic and, and like just a real comedian, I was, I was sort of embarrassed. I was not going to tell you that, but that's my experience too. Yeah. Is that like, I don't miss the travel. And frankly, I don't miss doing five shows. Like that, that fifth show was always really hard for me. Like I was just like, like the first one where you're like, let's see if this works in this town is really exciting. And then by the fifth, I'm just sort of like, this isn't easy. <laughs> like, I know it's fun, but it's not easy. Oh, yeah, um, no, the, the, well, the thing is, the stand-up, stand-up comedy's fun. I've always said that I don't get paid to tell jokes. I get paid to get on airplanes and stay in hotels. And that, that's, B, we're back to quotes. That's B.B. King said that first. I did, he, did he, I'm, I'm thinking yeah. B.B. King. <laughs> yeah, he said, that's, I, that's how, that's how I, I don't, feel. I play gigs for free. They pay me to travel, is what he said. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I, um. I but I also that, get a rush out of writing. I don't know if you do. When you're writing a really good script, I get a similar release. I, 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 I get now. I get the same rush out of out of creating something. I do like being creative, yeah. and if you create something, I can still I can see in my old years. I I I I think I I've talked I've talked I've never spoken out loud about this. The first I'm going to speak about. Like, I may retire in five years or a few years or something like that from stand-up and just not because I don't love doing it. I just don't want to be, have the work get progressively worse or me to the audience to go down and down and then just go back into comedy clubs and, and just sort of look like an old athlete who's going out there, giving it a go, you know? <laughs> and That's so, I, I understand you want the Seinfeld model. You want to go out in season nine. Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to, I'd like, I've done eight specials. I think I'd like to do 10 is the magic number in my head. And then I don't think I have anything more to offer special wise. Maybe I'll still do stand up, but I, I don't, you know, what's special number 15? It's going to be more of the same. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you can't enjoy, if the Beatles brought out 10 albums, right? And then, and people still bitch about them breaking up. What did you want them to bring out? 40, 50 albums, 60, right. like, 
I've had that same thing. It's going to turn into a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of itself. It, it, it's just the way the world works. Yeah. And so, so I think Tarantino too, 10 movies and he's out. Yeah. I think that's how I feel. I think I, I, I want to have a body of work that I'm proud of everything and, and sort of just go, okay, that's it. And I, look, I, I, I'm the king of, I, 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 I do TV shows that get well received and that get canceled. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> we have the same thing. We you do. Did a, you did a late night show that got well received, got canceled. You, you did, did a too. show a show about being a comedian in your family that got canceled. I did a show about That's being right. a and so now I want to do the multi camera one. I would really like it not to get canceled, but I'll be happy if it's well received. That's I'm, so. Fu- that's so funny. I, I'm also in the exact same position, Jim, where I'm like, I want the next thing I do to be true to my voice. And I'd really love it to, to find an audience, to find some sort of footing. Yeah, because my, my like legit has a fan base and people write to me all the time. And the Jim Jeffrey show did well, but I was, you know, I, I, the, the Jim Jeffrey show on Comedy Central, I was on a sinking ship, man. That, that, yeah. that Comedy Central was, now they've canceled Tosh.0 and they've cancelled Drunk History and they've, ca- they've cancelled everything. Yeah. All they are now is, is is the Daily Show and South Park. That's that, that's Comedy Channel is the Daily Show right, and South Park. Right, yeah. right. And they'll, they'll bring out a Crank Yankers or whatever like that, but nothing that stays on for a long amount of time. You know? It actually makes me sad because Comedy Central was so good to me, especially in my early years. And I know they were good to you too. They were great to me. I, and growing I, up, I, I Comedy so, Central so was Comedy Central. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they were great to me. It was just sad to sort of see the demise of, you know, it, I think that that channel sort of got killed by... YouTube clips. Yeah. Everything you could watch there, you could watch in three-minute bursts and all that stuff, and people stopped watching the actual shows. Well, I think they relate to that, if I remember correctly, is that YouTube started happening, and instead of sort of uh, surrendering to that and starting yeah. to monetize their YouTube channel and being like, here's all our shit on YouTube, I think they tried to do an app and a subscription. They tried to They tried to shear the sheep in a different way, when really the move, I think, was to kill the sheep and just be like, just eat the carcass. Just watch an ad, but you can eat the carcass. Well, I, I remember with Legit, and now that all, all of FX shows are on Hulu, but when I was on Legit, I was like, can we please put season one on Netflix before season two comes out? You know, yeah, so that people yeah. can see it, and then they can get, they'll, they'll like it, and then they'll tune into your, and they'll, and I remember that it was like, no, why should they get it? Why should they get the profit of it? Uh, we'll profit eventually. I understand where everyone was coming from. Yeah. Netflix was, you know, was was like, but that's what happened to Breaking Bad. No one was watching Breaking Bad. It was on Netflix, and then we all tuned into it. On and that's, and I've always envied Mulaney. My Comedy Central special is not on Netflix. I'd still like it to be, because um, sort of oddly, my first hour special is one of the more popular ones. I hope that doesn't mean I've gotten worse. <laughs> My my but, my best special is my second one, and it, you can only really see it on YouTube. It's got alcohol holocaust, and it, and it aired on Showtime for like two weeks, and that's then it never. And then so Mulaney somehow negotiated to get Comedy Central back when it was hard to do this to put his special, I think, or his agents did on Netflix, and that made a huge difference because if you were an early Netflix comedian. You know what I mean? Like if you were one of the 15 first ones. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Me? I was, I, was, uh, I was in the first 
five. I mean, and we're the first. They, they, they bought specials. The first five original specials. Now I'll tell you who the first five original specials were. It was me, Bill Burr, Chelsea Peretti, Chelsea Handler, Bill Cosby. Really? There's a Bill Cosby Netflix special that is filmed that no one has ever seen. People have seen it, but like no one officially has ever seen it. What if I was like, what if I was like, why? <laughs> like I just haven't been in the loop at all. Well, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's probably pretty good, right? <laughs> like, but it's, I, it's, it's never aired. It's never aired because before they were going to air, it was, a, you know. And so, right. so I, I came, I, that was when I did like the whole, I did the whole gun control thing. And I don't think my special did very well initially. And then, you know, a few school massacres later and then people started watching it, you know, it's a terrible way to get popular. Yeah. But it's, it's, um, that's sort of what happened there. But yeah, I, they bought five, they bought five. I think I was the lowest paid out of the five probably. I don't, I don't know. Maybe who gives a fuck? They were not, they were nice enough to buy me. And, um, and I remember them going, oh, Netflix is getting into the original stand-up specials, right? That was yeah. the thing. They're going to start doing stand-up specials and, and they're going to do your one. And I remember thinking, oh, but, well, maybe HBO is the way to go. You know, like, I was like yeah. what, what was I thinking? Netflix wow. is the fucking shit when it comes to specials. Yeah. It's the best. It's very, I don't know if it's I, – I can't speak to it. It seems to be a more crowded market. I remember when, like, Tom Segura and Ali Wong – that seemed to be like a really sweet spot. I'm not saying it's not still sweet, but there was a time when I saw Tom Segura's face more than my own face in the mirror. Because every time I went on Netflix, it was like, uh, watch his new one, watch his new one, watch his new one. You know, I what, like, I like, you know, you know what I like about Netflix? Because I don't watch that much stand-up. I watch a few of my friends, and I don't want to be too influenced by watching other people or have a joke seep in or anything like that. So I try not to watch much stand-up, you know? And... and um, uh, but and my, also my kid watches so much TV on Netflix and my girlfriend watches so much t- TV on Netflix. Every time one of my specials comes out, I never show up on my home page. And then when I click on it, it says it just gives a, a I get like a 60 percent match. Like Netflix thinks that I won't enjoy it. <laughs> and you know what? They're right. <laughs> like, I, I don't really care for this. Yeah, so but funny. I always want to get I always want to get the ratings up by one you know one click. So I turn my special on and then I go off to Ralph's and do some grocery shopping and cut. And pick up. I was going to say you can't turn it off. When I watched <laughs> Eurovision, I said to Val, I said I'm voting with my remote, and I turned it off because I thought the exposition it might get funnier later, but I couldn't handle. Sometimes these modern movies have such bare bones exposition where they're just like. They're musicians. Their father doesn't approve. Like it's like tripping over itself. To, it, it's not enjoying the process of storytelling. It's just going. We just need to oh, get you're into wrong. it. You're wrong. You got to watch that movie again. That's a fun movie. Oh, I'm, I'm going to watch it one day when I'm really sad. I watched Sandler's Murder Mystery on Netflix, and I thought it was phenomenal. I, I really I watch, liked it. I watch all the Sandler's films when they come out. You want to know why Sandler's movies do so well on Netflix and you got the biggest deal ever and all that type of stuff? It's very, very simple, right? When you've got a family and you're sitting in front of the TV and you go, what should we watch? And the kid wants to watch fucking Trolls 2, right? And the girlfriend wants to watch some romantic fucking thing and I want to watch some documentary about the Second World War, right? <laughs> and, and then and we all argue and then in the end we all go, all right, 
Adam Sandler movie? And we all go, yes. That's it's right. That it's that, it, it, it just pleases everyone to the right amount of level where we're all happy and we all go. And then wow. and, 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 and some of them are fucking like Happy Madison. Okay. The Wrong Missy was a funny film. The yeah, Davis we watched Frazier. that too. I enjoyed it too. I yeah. thought it was great. My son laughed his ass off when, 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 when the girl jumps off the cliff and she just falls and bashes her head. Yes. We, had to rewind, we had to rewind it like four or five times because he wanted yes. to watch it again over and over and over. So. And that's the great Lauren Lapkus who played my wife on Crashing. I have a she, was, she was fantastic in that She's movie. fantastic. I hope it's... She, a, was fant- she, was, she was lights out in that film. She was so good. Yep. David, David was good, but she was the star of that film. Absolutely. And that, 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 I'm so happy you said that. I completely agree. On Legit, you, you got a lot of praise from the, I hope I'm saying this right, the physically challenged, the disabled community that appreciated that you You're not going to say the R word? <laughs> oh my God. What if I thought that was the correct term? <laughs> like you were going, I, I, I hope to say this right. No, yes, the, the disabled community. Yes. It's funny, you taped, you taped your special in Boston. My opener 10 years ago in Boston was your love affair with the R word has lasted way longer than the rest of the country. Someone needs to tell you, like, we're not saying that anymore. It would, <laughs> it would just destroy. Um, I just wonder what your take is on the, the the sort of love and the inclusivity of sort of making fun of everybody. Well, I was I was very proud of that because and and more because the actors who we brought like we okay, so we had there was an agency and we never the, the 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 people who were disabled in the show or had mental disabilities or physical disabilities their, their, their disabilities weren't really brought up. They were just characters in the show and you just related to them like everybody else. <coughs> if they did something stupid, you looked at them like they were doing something stupid. If they did something funny, you looked at them like they were doing something. We had a real strict rule on that, that they were just, that the character wasn't defined by their disability, right? Mm, that's beautiful. Now, now the, the, the reason we had the person with disability is because there was somebody in my own life who had muscular dystrophy and he was, you know, in, and so the character that we had had to be in a home. So when he was in the home, it would just organically happen that we had to populate that world with other disabled people, you know? And so it started off with one other character that was a person at the home. And then we had an episode where we had to go to the home one day and I was helping out, you know, being a carer in this episode. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so so we, 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 there was an agency that had disabled actors and it was a nice little company. And what they would do is they would put on, theatre shows and stuff like that. And the, 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 the kids could all, well, the kids, the people could all go to do drama class and then they put a play on at the end of the year. And occasionally some of them would get bookings. It would mostly be in a Hallmark movie where they play the, the, the Down syndrome child who was being picked on at school or as a public right. service announcement where a person was, you know, that's how, that's how this was all happening, right? And so when we had a comedy, um, that every time we had a, a disabled person booked, we had to have a carer on set for that person as well, right? So you had to book the two people. And then we went to the agency. We had this episode where we needed, we needed maybe 15. We had a couple episodes where we needed maybe 15 or 20, 20 uh, disabled people. And so we rang up the agency and we went, how many have you got? And they said, oh, we've got 25 clients. And we just went, Rather than pick through photos and take 20 people, we went, we'll have them all. 
<laughs> we go, we'll have them all, right? And then because of SAG and after, and I don't know if I can get in trouble for saying this now, the agency went, well, we only have three carers. We've never had three of them out on a job more more than once, you know what I mean, at, at the same time, you know? Right. And so I we just lied and said we had all these carers. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Oh my we just, god. We just brought everybody but we all had a really good time. There was there was but there was one there was one um there was one scene and this was based on a friend of mine that I knew who had a disabled uh, relative and and his disabled relative he married he married his brother's carer, right? And because of that the 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 home that his brother was in, they brought in a male nurse. And all the guys that lived in the in the home were really pissed off because they took their their woman away. You know what I mean? Like they right. were unhappy because they used to, she used to flirt with them and stuff. Right. And and they were like, now they got a guy. And so so when he used to go back to visit, like, hey guys, and they were like really angry with him. <laughs> and, and so 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 we we did this episode where I was helping out of the home. There was a girl that was a carrot. I was flirting with her. The girl liked me, so all of them got really angry about me getting along with this oh, girl. Oh, that's right? brilliant. Yeah. That's a nice episode. Okay. So I remember the AD, he he has all the disabled people are standing to one side and he pulls them over and he goes, okay, guys, this is the deal. You're, you're all in love with her. You understand? And like, so, so, I think a small portion of them were mentally challenged. But he goes, he goes, you all like her, but Jim's trying to take her away from you. So you like her, but you hate Jim. You understand? Right? Oh my God. And they're like, yeah, we got it. We got it. We got it. And then we did the scene. And then we cut for lunch. And a lot of them were method actors and it crossed over into lunchtime. Oh my <laughs> God. I was sitting there having food and they were all walking past me going, you stay away from her. And I'm like, I'm not doing anything. I'm what? <laughs> <laughs> You are bringing me back to crashing where we did an episode where I'm doing warm up and I'm supposed to be offensive. Like I told the background actors, I don't know if you've ever done this. I was like, guys, the point of this scene is that I'm going to say some inappropriate stuff. So I just want to apologize now in case I offend you. And we had someone walk out. One of the actors walked out and and it, and and I, I i my body flooded with shame and i was like i told you the story it's not like i was saying the worst stuff in the world but she was like you should be ashamed of yourself and i was like no it was like such a horrible moment for me oh no we we had an episode in legit where where that this happened to me in real life i was dating a girl and i thought she was wonderful and i really really liked her and then, like on date number four, she just said the N word, and I was like, "Oh no!" You know, wow. I'm like, "Okay, well, that's the end of that, right?" Wow. It's like it's it, in one word, she just shattered the whole per- this image of this angel that I was dating, right? Wow. So we we did this we did this episode where, and this is the amazing thing because during you know the Black Lives Matter campaign, and everything which is I completely agree with. I don't want anyone writing to me right now saying I'm, you know. Um, but they cancelled things like Faulty Towers and they cancelled all these different shows. But no, there's an episode of Legit where they, they, uh, <laughs> we had an actor have to say that word while I was on a date with her and I had to be shocked and go, what, what, right? 
to tell anyway, the story of something that really happened that story, was horrible. The story of yeah. something that really happened to me. We weren't, we weren't condoning the word. We weren't glorifying the word. We weren't saying it flippantly. In fact, everyone we, in the class, everyone, every other actor reacted shocked to it. You know what I mean? We had like, that on Crashing. I had a girlfriend that did deaf voice to me. Yeah. And I and my my heart sank because I was in love with her. And when we were having a fight or something, she she did. I'm not going to do it, but she did it. And then we did it on the show. And very similar, I think, situation where we had to tell the background. The background actors are the people, they might only be there for that day. And you just have to be like, I'm so, so sensitive. I'm like, we're not condoning this. This is the joke. The joke is that she's wrong and my character breaks up with her over this moment. So, but it's so hard when well, we, it's like we, a little we, old lady or something. We had black background actors that we needed to have extras in the background. So I had to look around when she said it and be shocked. And I did that. And we had to do that speech. We had to go, we're really sorry. If you want to read the script, we're not condoning it in any way. And if people don't want to be here, we'll pay you for the full day and you can go well, home. And, yeah, you know, yeah. it's very, it's very awkward. It's like, I remember writing in one script and this girl was actually a wonderful actress. It's like, but there was a scene when I was, I was on a date with uh, Ginger Gonzaga, who, if you look up Ginger, very pretty girl. Um, and she's acted in a list, loads of things. She was in um, she was in that Jim Carrey Showtime show, playing the girl with cancer. Playing he he was uh, he was dating in that show. I think he dated her in real life. After, anyway, so so I was on a date with her, and I was going on about how how whenever I try to pay a bill, I, whenever the check comes, she does that reach for the purse, and then I, I go no no I've got it, and she gives up very quickly. Right? She goes oh yeah. okay. But she, she was a nice person. So she goes, I go, I go, I went, how much do drinks cost? You have no idea. Pretty girls have no idea. Do you have any idea how much drinks cost? Right. <laughs> and she's like, stop doing this, Jim. And I'm like, you, you have no idea. Like, what, 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 is, what does that cocktail cost? Do you have any idea? Do you care? Do you even care? Right. So <laughs> it's, was, it's like the dating version of how much is a gallon of milk, which yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. you, Jim Jeffries, you have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. Anyway, so, so I was, I was, I was doing that whole how much a cocktail cost, and then, and then I, I turned to a woman in a booth who isn't as good looking, and I said, "How much a beer?" And then she goes, "A beer is six dollars, and cold drinks are twelve, and this." And she just said it really thing, but in the script, when you're writing the script. It just goes, it just says, Jim turns to ugly girl, right? Because you're just writing it. Right, you know, right. You know, and then you have to cast it and you're like, oh, and then you're like, this girl wasn't ugly by any stretch of the imagination. You have to go, I'm so sorry about this. When I, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm really sorry about this. Of course, we had to be very careful about what you put in a script. I think in the 80s, you did just go like, and then uh, Weekend at Bernie's, he turns to a real fat piece of crap or whatever. But now you, you can't do that. People are becoming yeah, people. We, we had one where, where an episode where people went to a nightclub where, and it was all good looking people at that nightclub. And I didn't get into that nightclub. So I had to go to another nightclub where, where they let me in, right? So we had like a hundred extras and you have to split them up into good looking. Like who's getting into what nightclub? For the joke. Wow. For the joke. Wow. <laughs> and you're like, you're like, I couldn't even be in the room. I was like, I'll be in my trailer while people decide this. Of I don't course. want to be involved. Well, isn't that, you know, it's not just these shows that make these types of jokes. It's show business as a whole. I mean, you and I, Everybody in it has gone on those auditions where you're just like, I told the story about. Oh, that's to right. I went, that's right. It wasn't a nightclub. I went in an audition, and it was to play slumpy guy 
or good looking guy. And then when I walked in, I wasn't sure which, which person I was auditioning for. Hilarious. I was like, uh, uh. And then, and then oh. I went up to the girl going, and she, uh, she goes, you were reading for it? I go, I don't know. She goes, good looking guy? I go, yes! I was like so excited. <laughs> it's a compliment. My story is I went, because I'm six foot six, I get called in for like Gatorade commercials where you're going to be playing basketball with your shirt off. And I was like, this isn't right. Like, I, I don't think you know who you're dealing with. And it was, it was oh. embarrassing. When I first got get, get called in, I was like, I was called in for like uh, Australian car- Australian surfer, and it's like <laughs> I, I look like I'm from Ireland. I'm the most pale man that's ever lived. Yeah. Right? I, if you just saw a photo of me, you wouldn't go Australian, right? You wouldn't be able to tell, right? And no. I would go in. All I had was the accent, and they were like, "No." I'd walk uh, in, no. Hilarious. We always, I love this talk, but we're, I'm taking so much of your day and I don't want to not talk about this. We always talk a little bit about the meaning of life. You're uh-huh. a brilliant, you're a brilliant atheist. I've heard you talk about it before, but I'd love to just hear, what, what do you think is going on in the world? Um, I, what, what, you, what, what you're asking this? the meaning of life? Kind of. I, I mean, like, what flavor atheist are you? When I had Penn Jillette on, he... He was sort of like, I believe in infinite possibilities. You know, I, I think it could be anything. I, I and used then, to, I used and to be the ones that are like, be, this is nothing. I used to be so atheist that I used to you do atheist gigs and stuff like that and talk about atheism and read about atheism. And, and, and I was so atheist, I was almost religious about it. Sure. And then I was like, what the fuck am I doing? It, part of the privilege of being atheist is you don't have to think about it, you know? I think, like, you know, the, I, I remember watching a thing on Penn Gillette where he wanted to sell his big compound and he wanted to make it this place where free thinkers could go and blah, 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 blah. And I one time had this phone call from a very famous person who I'm not – a famous person in TV, a TV executive. Who, who had bought a couple of theatres, old theatres, with all of his money. And he, and he said to me, he rang me up and I never met the guy. And he said, I want to, he goes, I've watched some of your atheist material. I watched some of your stuff about God. He goes, I want to do like, instead of like church, open these theatres up and broadcast, you know, comedians talking and stuff like that and have like a Sunday morning ritual thing where people can come and it's just about love and laughter and everyone just getting along, right? <laughs> and I said, all right, so you want like an atheist church thing where we all, he goes, no, 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 no. No, he goes, I want there to be Muslims in the room. I want there to be Christians in the room. I want there to be Jews in the room. I want, us just, I want everyone just to get along and we're all laughing. And, and I go, oh, so you want utopia? <laughs> you you want me to host Utopia in your theaters on a You'd Sunday like morning? Kingdom go, Come, yeah, and, and, I, and I like like where we stand up and we go. Everyone deserves love, and everyone's loved, and everyone's equal. And then like one person goes, except for the Arabs, and then like, oh no, it's all been ruined, right? Right. It's like what you said about the Duck Dynasty thing is like. No one's the villain in their own story, right? Everyone thinks that they're they're the good guy. So, so when you think, when I think like the meaning of life, I don't know. 
what the meaning of life is, but I think I know what we're all meant to do. And I think we're all meant to just not fuck with other people too much, you know, just sort of leave everything, you know, try not to let your freedoms infringe on other people's freedoms. And, and it's, it's basically keep it to yourself is, is my, and, and yeah, look, I'm a terrible person who doesn't keep to myself and I fucking comment on everything in the fucking world. So, so, you know, but you know, what do the Beatles say? And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make, right? Just, just give as much as you take and leave, leave the world at zero. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, I, th- I think you have to leave this planet and, and hopefully, you know, not make it a better place. Just not fuck it up anymore. That's right. a good result. Right. That's interesting. That I, I've been reading the Tao Te Ching a lot, and, and they, they have a lot of philosophy of, like, you can't improve the world. You can just flow with it, basically. So yeah. it's, it's similar to what you're saying. And it's also similar to the golden rule, which is not unique to Jesus. It's actually in the Old Testament as well. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's yeah, treat people as you'd like to be treated, all that type of bullshit. You know, you try to, you try to do your best, but then, then, you, then you, know, you, you slip up, don't you? Because you meet someone who's a complete cunt and then you have to tell them and then you're fucking, then you're as bad as they are. It's just, <laughs> it's a vicious cycle. It sounds like you, one of the things, this is a leading question, but forgive me. Um, one of the things I loved about Penn, his specific atheism is that he doesn't know. And when it starts to verge into certainty, I know there's nothing, I know this is nothing, I know this is a cosmic accident, it starts to have a fundamentalist flavor to it. But what I loved about Penn is it felt more mystical, which he was like, I don't know what's going on. And that's what the atheist revolution was about, was there were all these churches, all these belief systems that said, we know what the meaning is, we know what the meaning is. And the atheists were the first to say, all we're saying is we don't know. We're not saying there is no God. I'm saying I don't know. Would well, you- that's, that's closer to being agnostic, though. But I, I, he, would, yeah, he I, would disagree. He would say agnostic means I don't believe it's possible to know. He thinks true atheism means you don't believe there's a God. No, I, 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 I 100% oh, don't believe it. there's a God. I don't believe that there's a mythical power that looks over us that we can pray to or talk to or that would in any way influence our existence or whatever. And I, I think and even if there was, even if there was, let's say there was a God, right? He's not helping you. He's not, he's, you know, I say he because he was made in the image of man and all that type of stuff. I'm not trying to be, right? He's not doing things for you and then not doing things for ants and not like the human, the humans, the the narcissism to think that there's a God that's looking out for you. There there is, there is no, there there is nothing smarter than us on earth. And and you have to be this smart to be that stupid. Right. (laughs) Because, because because every other animal doesn't think about it. They don't think about it. Because we have been given this power of elite thinking where we're really pondering and questioning and questioning and questioning, we've come up with conspiracy theories. And that's all these these things are, that there's a person and there's a place afterwards and there's a thing. And then if you wear this special hat and all that type of stuff, and it's all complete bollocks. And, And I don't know how the world was created. I'm not one of these atheists who is a scientist who went, the big. because if you say the Big Bang happened, they go, well, who made the Big Bang? And I go, I don't know. I know it wasn't a mythical being that's watching over you right now. 
And I know that if you behave a certain way, you won't get into heaven, you won't get into hell. Because why is it that all religions have an afterlife? It's fucking, it's giving you a reward for acting a certain way now. It's, a, it's, it's, it's if, if, you, if you said with 100% there's a God, there's no doubt about it, there's a God and he's looking over you, but there's no heaven or hell. Would you still go to church? Bull fuck you would. You wouldn't do it. The guy should be praised. He created the whole world. But you wouldn't do it because there's no reward at the bloody end. Well, it's how you sell it, right? You have to incentivize it. I completely agree. It's it's you make a a punishment reward, which, by the way, I think is completely uh, missing the mark on what all of these things were intended to be. But you make it into a product. You need to have this. You need to believe this. You need to act this way or you'll go to hell. And then you incentivize it by saying, and everyone dies, and you could die at any moment, so you better believe now. So it right. sort of sells itself. What do you think? I just think I, I get offended when people, when I, I've, I've, I've talked to people and they go, well, why don't you just kill people then? Why don't you just go up and punch people in the face? Because I'm not a fucking dickhead, you know? It's like, yeah. it's like, like I've met good atheists and I've met terrible atheists and I've met good Christians and I've met terrible Christians. And I met good Jewish people. I met terrible Jewish people. I've only met bad Sikhs, though. Oh, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's interesting. Penn has a great line. It's on crashing. I don't know if it made the cut. But he goes, if you need God to not... uh," He's like, I don't believe in God. And I've uh, murdered or assaulted exactly the number of people I've ever wanted to, which is zero. And he's like, if you need someone watching you above that's going to punish you to not murder someone. He's like, you're a, you're a, you have bigger problems. Well, this, this, I, I'll go one step further. I've murdered zero people and that's not the number I've wanted to. <laughs> oh, there's, <laughs> there's, some pe- there's some people, if, uh, oh my word, but I just, you know, I know it's wrong. So I don't do it. Well, you don't do it because, but I think there's something more pure to that than fearing punishment then getting in touch with the part of you that knows that's wrong because you see yourself in the other, which is really yeah. what spirituality is supposed to be doing. I guess so. Yeah. I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll, you'll concede that. I'm, I'm certainly not trying I'll, to convince you. I can see that. Look, I grew up going to Sunday school and that type of stuff. It just didn't, I just don't understand how we can think that if you were born in a certain country, your religion's right. And, and then the other who were born in different countries are the wrong. It just seems very silly to me. That's brilliant, though. That's the first. This, this is a transformation I've been under as well. I grew up religious. And when someone said to me, you realize your faith comes down to who, when and where you were born. Like you need to wrestle with that. Like any faith worth having or not having has to reconcile with that question. Because going around being like, no, I was born in a Christian nation to Christian parents in a Christian time. Christianity is the only one. If you were born in ancient Greece, you would be worshiping Zeus, and that's important to recognize. Yeah, all all big, all big opinions, um, for the most part, in in your informative years, are taught to you. Most of your opinion, whether you're homophobic, racist, religious, or whatever, it's it's taught to you. They're, they're taught things. No one's born racist. Of course, yeah, they, they always say that. No one's born racist. And then, you know, it's, it's a learnt thing that is passed down through people. And I don't think anyone's born believing in a God. You know, if, 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 we, if, if, uh, if you were 
just if you scrapped all religion right now and got I think Ricky Gervais said something very clever once on a late night show, which was uh, the, the and he uh, he said it to Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert is very religious, and and uh, the thing about the thing about the difference between science and religion. If you scrapped all books and and, and got rid of the internet eventually everything with science would come back. We would figure it all out again. And over a thousand, couple of thousand years, we would come to the same results. If you scrapped religion, it wouldn't come back. Maybe, maybe they'd make another God and stuff, but it wouldn't be God with Jesus, with this, with that. You know what I mean? Like it wouldn't be, it wouldn't come back. I, I would disagree with that only because there's so many examples of virgin births, physical death and resurrection. You can actually track it to what crops we were growing. We started growing things that died and their seeds grew back. And this informed the way that we understood the universe. And then that formed the mythic narratives that we constructed. So these stories are in the cosmos. You see the story of Jesus in your crops. And that's why we tell those stories. Well, I don't know about that. You devil. I saw it in your eye. I knew you had something great. You are a treasure. I, would, I, I don't have to say this. I wouldn't change a single thing. I think everything you said is, is just right on and an important part in having a thoughtful human experience. So I, I think it's very valuable and wonderful. All right, man. Well, thanks for that. Is that, is that us wrapping this up? I've got to get back onto my day. Yeah, I believe so. I have one final question just because we do talk about the meaning of life and it gets too heavy. So we always close with this question if it's okay. All right, I'm ready. Give it to me. What is the time in your life you laughed the hardest? Oh, um, uh, uh, it, it may have been. It may have been only a few weeks ago, and it was on mushrooms. You know, like mushrooms really make you laugh, man. <laughs> and, and and it was and it was me and my friends sitting around eating like like gummies like those little tiny um like dots those ones you get in the cinema and trying to prove that we could all know what flavor was which (laughs) (laughs) we we were on a mountain of mountain of mushrooms the mushrooms are doing all the heavy lifting (laughs) (laughs) i love that i played that game with skittles where you're like Oh, no, no, no. Once, once we ran out of dots, we kept on chasing those laughs, and then we were like, I found a bag of M&Ms, but it was too easy. It was too easy. Yeah, yeah that's so fun. Oh, I'm so glad that, that you've had that experience. I, I haven't done mushrooms in a long time. That makes me jealous. <laughs> I love well, that. come over whenever you want, man. We'll do them together. That would be great. I would love that. And in the middle, I'll be like... It's just a metaphor, Jim. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much. The podcast is called, I don't know about that. Well, I don't know about that. And and the new show is going to be called Jeffrey's on NBC. And the special is called Intolerant. And uh, that's all I've got going on. It was a pleasure talking to you. Would you say the catchphrase, the, the guest says the catchphrase, it's how we end. The catchphrase is keep it crispy. And that'll be it. Keep it crispy. That'll be it. Thank you so much, Jim. Be well. Love to you and your family. Love to you, mate. See you, mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.